before we started recording tonight, we got our first Spider-Man No Way Home poster. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. That's my IP. I couldn't be more excited about that. It broke the record for most watched trailer, more than Endgame in 24 hours so this is the most anticipated marvel i guess sony but marvel film that we have in the mcu so far kevin feige is michael jordan of marvel and he just missed two game-winning shots he ain't gonna miss three in a row he can't miss three in a row black widow eternals you got one more shot and you can't really count spider-man because it's kind of sony even though he kind of oversees it he's got one more chance man that movie could also possibly make more money than in game Potentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, we are in the time of COVID. Oh, that's true. The, <laughs> Never the grossings are hard. But I am curious to see if this movie actually does break COVID records so far. It definitely will. Yeah. Yeah. Especially after this last garbage one. <laughs> yes. I am so, so excited to talk to everyone here today. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about the new Marvel Disney, I guess, venture uh, film this time, not a TV series as has been sort of the trend lately for Disney Plus, but a film called Eternals. And this has been such a crazy experience because most of the time Marvel knocks it out of the park. And this movie in particular has been pretty divisive as far as critic and audience response. And so we have five people in the cast to talk about it. We have the Nerd World Order back again from the Loki series episode that we had them on before. So if you want to hear more about who they are, you can go listen to the first part of that episode and learn what they're all about. But the best thing about having them on is they have an extreme amount of knowledge when it comes to these comic book characters and who they are, most importantly. And uh, they can give a little bit of accreditation to the comic book accuracy of the depiction of the characters in the live action creations. So we're super excited to have them on today. We have Alan Dukes, Joe Tawai, and Alfonso Flores. Yeah. Yeah. Also known as Alf. How's it going, dude? Really good, man. Really good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? I am actually doing really well. So excited to discuss this movie because apparently 59% of uh, (laughs) critics agree with me on this movie. So let's get into it. Let's discuss this travesty that is the Eternals. First of all, before we actually get into our reaction, I want to do a quick recap of the film, which won't take long, and then a quick breakdown of the director and who's in the film, and then we can talk about everything. So, Gabe, hi. What's up, Steven? How's it going? Do you want to give a plot synopsis? Let's first talk about... Chloe Zhao? Chloe Zhao and who she is and why she was picked for this movie. The mind behind the most controversial movie in Marvel history? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, Chloe Zhao is is surging right now because she just won Best Director and Best Feature for Nomadland, which was her third movie that she directed in the States. But I think that was not even out when she was working on Eternals, obviously, because they were shooting in 2019. Yeah. So Marvel secured another small indie director to launch another part of their massive franchise. And here we are. And she got an all-star cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She had Richard Madden as Icarus. Icarus. Gemma Chan. Gemma Chan. Gemma Chan. I'm so bad at names. (laughs) Gemma Chan as Cersei. Angelina Jolie was Thena Salma Hayek as Ajak. Kit Harrington was Dane Whitman. 
or the Black Knight, yep. who didn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. Uh, Kumail Nanjani was Kingo. Leah McHugh was Sprite. Brian Tyree Henry as Fastus. Lauren Ridloff as Makari. Barry Keoghan as Druig. Don Lee as Gilgamesh. And then uh, Karun, who is Kingo's sidekick and, oh, the, and right. the heart of the film, yeah. was <laughs> Harish Patel. Yep. And also, I think it was Bill Skarsgård that voiced Crow, who is the deviant, who is kind of like the red herring villain for most of the film. Mm-hmm. I think it was him. He's on the cast now. He wasn't a few days ago. Was that all 10 Eternals? And the Not counting our uh, crazy post credit scene. So what can you quickly say, what film did Chloe Zhao do before this that... It was Nomadland. Did you say that? Already? I did say that. Okay. That's fine. And why do you think that people were expecting this movie to be good? Well, because Nomadland won all the awards. Yep. Even though uh, that was another film that was kind of a hotbed for discussion in terms of, even on this podcast, uh, Stephen was not a huge fan in terms of thinking it was the best movie of that year. Yep. I also actually agree, but I think Nomadland has a lot of merit to its acclaim. But yeah, Nomadland was kind of a smash hit with... A lot of people, so. And so is Chloe Zhao, yeah. I would say. People really adhered to her directing style. It she is has, distinct. She has a very distinctual, I would say grounded, while being a sort of ethereal and uh, aesthetically sunsetty, Goldeny? <laughs> Golden hour Yeah, and so I think people were expecting a lot from her for this movie, because, you know, going from something like an indie hit, like Nomadland, and then going into Eternals is quite the move. And uh, I think people were expecting something particular. You know, I, I, I can't say what that something is, but something specific. Something from new. Yeah. Yeah. And Kevin Feige himself was, he wanted a lot of momentum for this picture. I think he even talked about yeah. possibly moving it around for award season, yeah. which is crazy for a Marvel film. There's a lot of hype surrounding this film coming out. Not only was it because of Chloe Zhao and her kind of coming off the success of Nomadland, but it was also, they were hyping this movie up in marketing to be something that will change the face of the Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. <laughs> it kind of delivered on that. <laughs> Did it though? And that's something we can talk about later, but it had a lot of hype surrounding the movie saying that this was going to be something unlike anyone had ever seen in the MCU. It's going to change the face of the MCU forever. And I think there was a lot of high expectations. Mm -hmm. Even Feige himself was like, I think if you go back and watch interviews, Kevin Feige, who's the, I don't know, the god of these movies, he's the person in charge. It really seemed like he was putting all his money, like all of his eggs in this basket, you know? Yeah. Okay, really quick, I'm going to give just a quick synopsis of the plot of Eternals, which isn't difficult. It's like very (laughs) basic, and then we'll get into it. Um, So full spoilers going ahead. So 10,000 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So first and foremost, I should say this movie time jumps around a lot to tell the story. So it's very nonlinear, as they say. It's very out of order. Essentially, when it comes down to it, there are these celestials in the Marvel universe that are essentially the progenitors of life. There's this specific celestial called Arishem. He's like a big, giant, I don't know, uh, rock Space rock man. I should also say, I didn't know anything about the Eternals going into this, but big giant space rock man named Arishem, he creates these 10 people called the Eternals, sends them to Earth basically right at the dawn of man, so 7,000-ish years ago, give or take. And they all have specific powers, and they're there to watch man flourish and help mankind flourish. And 
they do. And they're essentially throughout the ages and they show they're sort of like gods or known to be, they're these legends all throughout history. And they're told never to interfere with man's problems. So even though man may war against itself, they're told not to interfere, but just to aid to make sure that humanity doesn't die off. They all disband about 300 years ago, 500 years ago. And then a couple of them pick up that there is a celestial in the center of Earth going to be born out of Earth, and it's going to destroy all of life as we know it. And the Eternals have to band back together to stop it. As they do that, they bring up a lot of the sort of quasi-family issues that they had previously. And a lot of those relationships get rekindled or re-sparked and they have to deal with a lot of their emotional problems. Uh, And then they essentially fight each other in the end and they stop the celestial from being born uh, named Tiamat. And that's basically the end of the movie. (laughs) Um, Then there's two post-credit scenes as is the usual for Marvel films. One is Kit Harington, again from Game of Thrones fame, who is, for comic book fans that know, he's going to become the Black Knight, probably, most likely. And he picks up a blade that has all these souls in it, a dark black blade, the ebony blade. And uh, a voice from off screen says, like, are you sure you want to touch that? Which we now know, we now know is Mahershala Ali's blade. And then the second post credit scene is Pip the Troll, voiced by Patton Oswald, shows up and he introduces Harry Styles <laughs> of fame. And <laughs> he is the brother of Thanos, known as Eros or Star Fox. And he shows up and he presents himself as an Eternal to join a couple of the Eternals that are left who are searching for more Eternals. <laughs> out in space. So that is the whole plot of Eternals. A lot happened. It's also, I think, maybe one of the longest Marvel movies ever made. It comes in at like two hours and 45 minutes. Four days. Yeah, four (laughs) days long. And they spend a lot of time talking about the characters and developing the characters so that when they make the decisions toward the end, you kind of understand where they're coming from. But I would love to kind of start this off because Gabe and I definitely don't know. But who are the Eternals in the comic book world? And what are the biggest differences from the comic to the translation that we see in film? Go ahead, Alan. I never once collected an Eternal comic book in my life. Okay. So <laughs> herein lies the dilemma in the Eternals movie, which Joe just stated. No one cares about the Eternals. <laughs> Nobody read Eternals comic books, and they were never relevant to Marvel Comics, nope. and their story was always convoluted. So when you ask who the Eternals are, I'm going to compare it to the Guardians of the Galaxy, except Guardians of the Galaxy was awesome. You walked into the you walked into Guardians of the Galaxy thinking to yourself, man, this movie's going to suck because nobody cared if this movie was ever made. Because nobody ever cared about the Guardians of the Galaxy yep. and comic book land. But when you walked out of the Guardians of the Galaxy, you said, damn, that was a good movie. When you walked out of the Eternals, you said, I don't care. I never mm-hmm. cared about the Eternals. I never read their comic books. And I'm glad I never did. Because this was two hours and 34 minutes mm-hmm. of wasted time. You know what's bad about it, too? We don't need Eternals. Now that we have the rights to X-Men, that's what everybody wants to see. Everybody wants to see an X-Men movie. The Eternals was just, you know, they didn't have the rights to X-Men, so they got to create something. What could they have done as the Eternals, right? Wow. I mean, I love Superman and the Eternals. Oh, wait, no, that wasn't Superman. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was Superman. I thought it was Homelander, actually. Oh, <laughs> it was Omni-Man. Here's a thought, too, I was thinking the whole time I was watching it. I was like, hmm, 
Was Thanos wrong? And let me explain. His whole thing was to make the population half, right? If he does that, there's no celestial being born. Because Thanos is half eternal and uh, deviant. He's half and half. So if he snaps in a half, there's no celestial being born. Do you think in the MCU right now that our version of Thanos knew that the celestials were in there like eggs ready to hatch? No. Yeah, I don't, think so. I don't think so. We're just talking out loud. You know, I don't think Marvel thought about it that way. It's interesting you should ask that because as I was walking out of the movie theater, I actually heard two people talking about that. And were that the case, Thanos wouldn't have presented his hypothesis of, you know, overpopulation and things of that nature, he would have alluded to the Celestials, but he didn't. So because he didn't, and his original plan talked about, you know, uh, dwindling resources and things like that, that was his plan. It had nothing to do with the Celestials. Yeah. Also, if he did, I mean, why not just snap the Celestial away and rather than half the population? <laughs> True. <laughs> Interesting question. I actually did my research. The thought is because the Celestials existed before the Infinity Stones, they couldn't be affected by the Infinity Stones. Mm. What? I wish they would. Then we wouldn't have watched that movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's. Can we just quickly say who liked it and who didn't like it here? I'll go first. I thought it was fine. It wasn't great. It wasn't the worst, but I did enjoy the ride, especially knowing nothing about it previously. Uh, I feel pretty similarly, uh, mostly because I had no attachment to any of the comics for Eternals. Because like Duke said, it's kind of a like a, an ancillary. It's not really important to any of the lore. And I know Jack Kirby was only really writing it because he was like going back and forth between Marvel and DC at the time. Mm. But yeah, I, I thought it was fine. It didn't, only a couple things bothered me like profoundly <laughs> about the movie, like the usage of the deviants and how they were just kind of thrown to the side by the end. But other than that, it, it was it was fine for me. It it didn't give me the the Nomadland rush mm -hmm. that uh, some people might talk about. Sure, because it was kind of caught halfway between art film and you know Marvel fair. Ooh. So yeah, um, sadly, I, I love everything. So <laughs> it's kind of. <laughs> but you know, I, I thought it was a beautiful movie. Um, the scenery was was amazing. I mean, the flashbacks. Uh, it was biblical. You know, true. Actually biblical. Yeah, actually biblical. We go to Babylon. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so much so that I really thought at the end they turned that celestial into a pillar of salt. And I was expecting to just blow away, but right. sadly that didn't happen. That would have been poetic. Uh, and the last part of Icarus flew too close to the sun. So. Um, <laughs> flew but into the sun. All, I mean, I did like the movie. It wasn't fun like Guardians of the Galaxy. It was a little more epic. It was a little slower and more drawn out than I'd like to be but it's a different movie those are different characters and and i really love the family dynamics of it because it's like like you were saying earlier it's like i didn't it just came to me i was like wow you know you're right it's like you have this family that's you know they've been you know separated for so long they're coming back together and everybody's got their issues you know and they mm -hmm. got to bring them together and they got to air them on the table before we get started we have this thanksgiving dinner we got to put this on the table like actually on the table like though. actually yeah. on the table from ikea yeah <laughs> the first time i watch it i'm like you know, eh. the more that I talk about it, the more I'm like, bro, I didn't care if anybody died in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm watching it. I'm like, 
okay. The only one that why you gotta kill the Asian dude, bro. That was the only dopest character in that movie, bro. That's what I'm died. saying. I agree. <laughs> he was like the strongest dude and he died. I was just like, yeah. other than that, is if anybody else died, like no one cared about Sprite becoming human. Like no <laughs> one cared. I didn't care. Woo woo hoo. You can't grow up and be older. I mean, who cares? <laughs> like I didn't feel sorry for her once. And yeah. usually like Marvel movies, when you do watch a Marvel movie, they're pretty good about drawing you in. But the mm. whole time I'm like, I do not want to watch a knockoff X-Men. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's tough when you have to write 10 characters of like a meaningful story so that if any of them die, you feel like uh, yeah. it's profound. And they they well, tried to put a lot in there. Exactly what Alan was saying that earlier. Like you didn't really need 10. Why couldn't you have done five, right? Hmm. If you're going to do flashbacks and you have 10, why not bring back the other five later in the sequel, maybe? Yeah, true. That's why Justice League, when they made it four hours, was so much better because you can get in depth with the characters. You know what I mean? It made you yeah. like it. I mean, even Duke's like Justice League, the Snyder Cut, a lot better. But it was four hours for you to get to introduce to these characters to make you like them, make you feel sorry for them. Sure. What was it, two hours and 45 minutes? And I'm just like, yeah. Okay. Two-part movie would've been cool. And Alan, what did you think? <laughs> right. Did Gabe just threaten us with two parts? No, it, <laughs> it was, uh, it was, uh, it's the lesser of two evils kind of thing. <laughs> two-part movie might've been better overall, but yeah, it still would've been more of this. Yeah. So. Okay, first of all, uh, Chloe Zhao. The thing that I love about Gabe and Steve is you guys understand the industry, right? You guys look at everything artistically. I sit my butt into a seat and I <laughs> want to be entertained. That's it, okay? Preach, when Chloe, preach, brother what? Alan, preach. <laughs> <laughs> now, when Chloe Zhao made Nomadland, okay? Never seen that, a movie. And you haven't missed anything, my bro, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to break it down for you. It was a bunch of people living in vans. And that was it. Okay? Now, when we grew up in Oceanside, those were just homeless people. Okay? Now, she gave us two hours of that. Okay? Now, she disgraces the MCU by giving us two and a half more hours of boring people with boring dialogue. Wow. This is perhaps the most pissed off I've ever been walking out of a movie. This is a Marvel fanboy. He is a Marvel fanboy speaking now. It gave us absolutely nothing to anticipate from the next movie. Not even the end credits, okay? Because to my point earlier, nobody cares about the Eternals and nobody cares about Star Fox. Nobody cares about the Black Knight. And even though people do care about Blade, we had to go online and find out that that was Blade by doing research in order to get interviews from Chloe Zhao. Sure. Initially, Alfonso was like, well, who do you think it is, Dukes? Is it Nick Fury? Is it someone else? But nobody ever thought it was Blade. Mm -hmm. Nothing about this movie makes me anticipate another movie coming out. It was slow. As you've all mentioned, it had too many characters. It had far too many villains. Who was the villain? Was it Icarus? Mm -hmm. Was it Ajax? Was it Asham? Was it one of the Deviants? Was it Crow? Or was it Tiamat? Or was it none of the above because it was a pointless movie? Uh, so as you guys can tell, <laughs> mm -hmm. this movie has thoroughly pissed me off. <laughs> I wish they could just erase it from the MCU completely. I love that you just sat back and you're drinking <laughs> what I think is maybe a, a rock star or something. Oh, there you go. It's a rock star. Okay. No, I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah. I'm all fired He's up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, dude, it wasn't like Star Fox in the comics. Like, he got into trouble because he was like 
manipulating yes. chicks to sleep with him. So yes. therefore, She-Hulk had to protect him. So I don't know if that's why they put him in there so they can introduce She-Hulk to the Disney Plus. Ooh. You know, maybe that's what they were trying to do. But dude, do you remember at the end of Shazam, bro, when it ended and all you saw was Superman's like lower half? You didn't see Superman. You're like, what the hell is this, garbage? <laughs> you can't show Blade, bro, in his suit sitting in the chair? Going, yeah. do you really want to touch that? You know what I mean? Like, no yeah. one knows this dude's voice. Yeah. Seriously. Like, just like Alan, I had to come home and go, Google. <laughs> oh, it's Blade. Okay, okay, okay. My yeah. son was like, is that Nick Fury? He sounds different. <laughs> you know, because everyone's expecting Nick Fury to be the one that, that right. he's always been that one that does that, right? Sure. I initially thought it could be like Kang or something, but. Yeah. And then some yeah. people thought it was The Watcher. That yeah. was like, ooh, that'd have been nice. But... Okay, I have so many questions. Like, like I. Why'd you watch that movie for 12 hours <laughs> and 45 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. My first question would be back to Alan after what he just said. Okay, you mentioned that you're upset, the most pissed off yes. you've ever been. <laughs> yes. uh, did you have a previous attachment? I know you kind of said this already, but did you have any sort of inkling to the characters of the Eternals that because of the lack of maybe comic book accuracy, that it upset you before that reason? Or are you upset because this felt like a bad movie? Definitely the bad movie aspect. But there is one thing about the Eternals that I'm tired of seeing in media in general. It's when they try to link characters in a movie to previous mythologies and folklores mm. as sort of an aha that's so creative how they did that mm -hmm. icarus has been around forever they've actually created this mythology and folklore based on that mm. and i understand that they did do that in the comic books but it's just a played out trope and it didn't hit me with the level of excitement that i think they were going for for most fans so yeah, there, there was absolutely no direct connection that I had with the Eternals. I would say my, my biggest disappointment is, you know, one of the things that Alfonso had mentioned sort of offline is that there was an opportunity to introduce Apocalypse, the first mutant, into the MCU, which could therefore lead into the X-Men, mutants, things of that nature. Interesting. And I feel like... Every opportunity they had based on having historical references to introduce new concepts, new ideas, they simply glossed over and went on with this horrible, boring, slow story. <laughs> okay, second question. Do you know why they picked these 10 Eternals or these 10 characters? Were there other Eternals that were on Earth that they could have picked from or why these 10? You know, honestly, I don't know. Okay. Um, you know, I know there are other Eternals, but I believe that these were the quote-unquote primary 10. Like, I think it's the current one. The current one's probably. Uh, okay. probably that's, right. that's usually what they do. Can I touch on something Duke said? Yeah. Okay. So You want to touch Dukes? Yeah, I want to touch Dukes. Yeah, you want to touch Dukes? <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. That, that. that might make him a little bit happier. So, yeah, there was two things that I was really disappointed with with the Eternals. I mean, I, I love the movie, but there are two big, huge disappointments. The first one, like he said, the Apocalypse connection. So Apocalypse was a mutant, you know, and he had powers. I can't remember what the original ones were. But what happened was he was, his skin was discolored and he was kicked out of his tribe in ancient Egypt. And he went into the middle of the desert alone and he found this giant celestial ship, just like they had in the show, except it wasn't a triangle. 
um, the big Dorito looking thing. He found this giant <laughs> celestial ship. He boarded it and he learned its secrets over thousands of years, which extended his life. He learned how to extend his life with that. He learned how to manipulate his body to make it look you know, more robotic and grow and take on extra mass. And mm. so he, a lot of those, those powers, I, I think his main powers is he was just buff and he could kick butt, you know, but a lot of his powers that you see nowadays is all because of celestial technology. Mm. All right. I didn't know that. Yeah, and um, that ship later on was found by X-Factor, the original X-Factor team, which was comprised of the original X-Men team, the the original five, and uh, they used that ship as their home base. Uh, It landed upright in the middle of Manhattan, and it was a mile tall. Was this ship? Yeah, it's the ship. The ship named ship. The ship named ship, and it was sentient. It it could speak to them. It it actually took care of little baby cable, you know, put them in a bubble and did whatever it needed to do. And then just one day, randomly, bam, that ship shot off into space, and they ended up on this other planet, and it was a planet ruled by mutants. It was nothing but mutants, like pretty ones, ugly ones, and they kind of had different factions where the pretty ones hated the ugly ones, the ugly ones hated the pretty ones. And uh, there was a thing called Judgment War. And what happened was they were sent to this planet with this ship because the Celestials were coming to make judgment on this planet on whether or not it should survive. So what's his name? Harrison came out and he was a judgmental one. He always put his fist out, you know, either thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, The place gets to live or die. Every single mutant on that planet was able to channel their energies through Cyclops' optic beams and destroy that hand. So the Celestials were like, all right, that's cool. We'll leave. And then they got sent back to Earth. So that was one of the major things that I was like, okay, this is how we're going to get our mutants. This is how we're going to get our mutants. The second thing is, this is how we were supposed to get our mutants. (laughs) Because the mutants are, in the comics, the deviants are more man-looking than a bunch of HDMI and AV cables, okay? They don't don't look like, like horses with, you know, HDMI hair. They're... They're actual just like beast looking guys, right? And what would happen was, you know, they get a little busy with some humans, you know, because, you know, that's what you do, you know? And because of that, mutants were made, all right? That's how it happened. And I'm like, this is how we get our mutants. And we had two different cases where they could have done one, both, or the other. It just infuriates me because I, you know, love my X-Men. Yeah, we got a lot of X-Men fans in this podcast, and myself included. I just know considerably less than the people around me right now. To piggyback off Alf, dude, you got to remember, this movie was made before they had the rights to X-Men. That's true. And they're not going to rewrite or change just to fit in the X-Men. I'm pretty sure they have their own way of introducing the X-Men. They had an extra year to do that. Well, they were able to rush you know, the CG on Pip the Troll, right, Dukes? The horrible CGI. For Pip the Troll, yeah. And, and didn't Alfonso just give us a better movie <laughs> than The Eternals? And my thing is, regardless of whether or not they have the right to the X-Men, Kevin Feige, to your point, promised a groundbreaking movie that was going to change the MCU, right? Yeah. So we all went in with these expectations that whatever the Eternals had to offer us, especially based on what Alf understands about the X-Men and mutants, which is far surpasses all of us, that this was going to give us something that was going to change the MCU. It didn't do that. And I think for real hardcore MCU fans and for comic book fans, that's the biggest disappointment is it overpromised and underdelivered. Hmm. But again, though, did he did he say that prior to him buying X-Men or getting the rights to X-Men? Joe, here's my point. When you (laughs) do have the right to the X-Men and you claim that this movie is going to change the MCU 
and you understand the relationship that the Eternals and the Celestials have to bridging the MCU with X-Men, you better come with it. You better deliver or you better not say that. You don't say that to the entire world, have the X-Men in your back pocket, and then give us some garbage <laughs> for two hours and 45 minutes. Don't do that. Just keep your mouth shut. Okay? Do what you did for Captain Marvel or for Shang-Chi or for Black Widow. Just keep your mouth shut, let it roll out, and then we'll deal with it later. And Shang-Chi was better than this. Shang-Chi was way better than this. Yeah. There were Pokemon in that movie, but I still loved it. Yeah. I had no problem with that. So, okay. This is still going back to Alan's rant earlier because you talked about how there were multiple villains. It's, it was really hard to sort of narrow down who the villain was and also care about the characters. Actually, those are two separate issues. But <laughs> but when it comes to the villain and the sort of attempts of doing a new thing, because it seemed like in what you were saying that you would have rather had it be like any other Marvel film. And this was a question that one of my friends posed was, do we need to have Marvel movies because there are so many of them now that take risks and try new things and either succeed or fail to get then to the good ones again? Or should every Marvel movie sort of be the same where it's a strong first and second act and then like a big kind of CG fest for the third act? By strong first and second act, I mean just character building. But I'm curious, like, should every Marvel movie have this same formula over and over again? Or do we have space in our Marvel content these days to kind of try new things? And if so, I think that this was one of those attempts at trying something new. But I'm curious what you think. Okay, I'll answer that. (laughs) Marvel does have the room to try new things and experiment. However, this experiment was a failure. (laughs) Now, I have to say that, generally speaking, people look for a singular villain to dislike in movies. It's part of the formula for most movies. Hey, especially comic book movies or or, or action movies, there is a single villain. Sometimes there are multiple villains who team up at the end of a movie in order to defeat the hero or heroes, but... In this movie, they try to create a sense of moral ambiguity, which actually created a lack of real direction and cohesiveness. And, you know, even with the character of Kangol, are we good guys or are we bad guys? Because we're just doing our job. And our job is, is to set the, this planet up to be destroyed so that life can continue. It's very difficult to truly enjoy a movie when you're not even sure if you're quote-unquote heroes are doing the right thing because ultimately these heroes destroyed the creation of a completely new universe. Mm. It didn't leave you feeling good if you took the time to think about it. And furthermore, there was no actual villain in the movie. There was a series of moral ambiguities because even the deviants weren't wrong. You know, they were doing what they were created to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, eventually it was the problem that Ajax and the, or excuse me, not Ajax, but um, A whatever, A whatever, and the other Celestials um, <laughs> simply wanted to destroy this planet. And the Deviants were causing that to not happen because they were dwindling the population, which is essentially what Thanos was doing. 
Yeah. So it, this entire movie, when you think about it, it gets more and more convoluted because they tried to go for moral ambiguity with their multiple villains, which the villains were heroes, but not really heroes, but they weren't really villains either. It was it was garbage. <laughs> so maybe the deviants were the heroes then, maybe. And, and, and also, am I wrong in that, to Joe's point, at yeah, some point, right. you were asking yourself, like, but are the deviants wrong? Yeah. Right? Because it seemed like the Deviants were just trying to continue their own race, right? But at no point did it ever seem like they had this grand scheme to destroy the Eternals or the planet or anything like that to the extent that the Celestials did. And can't Ajax just keep continuing healing herself? I mean, they didn't cut anything off on her. She so can continue to heal herself. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... There's no reason for her to die. Bro, he sucked all the energon out of her. That's what it was. <laughs> she took the Matrix of leadership and gave it Dude, to like, Cersei. When Icarus was pushing her off, we're, I was like, nobody cares. Push her off. Let me watch 3D. I'll push her off myself. <laughs> Did you read the interview also? Like, Sama Hayek was arguing with the director about where her character should go. <laughs> she was probably right. Because she probably said, what's this? <laughs> what's this? She can heal herself. <laughs> you know what I mean? She felt, dude, if Jeez. I can heal myself, I'd be like this. You ain't going to kill me. And then she cut off my head. Always go for the head. Yeah. And then, and then Icarus is flying through the sun. I was just like, good, bro. Little whiny baby. <laughs> dude, I wasn't even hyped for Black Knight. I was like, he's boring, dude. Alan didn't really care too much for uh, Venom, the second one. Same. But the end credit scene was made the movie for him. Yep. It was like the end credit. So even though this movie was garbage, the end credits, dude, even if the movie sucked, the end credits is, you know, like it can redeem it to a certain point where you're like, well, at least the end credits were good. You didn't even have that. Okay. I'm, I'm seeing I'm seeing a lot of what you guys are saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so now we got to watch it again. <laughs> See what happens is if I think it's okay, and then I start talking out loud with Alan. And then I realize that movie did suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you start to rethink about certain scenes and you're just like, what? Gosh. Yeah. Maybe its downfall was the attempt at moral ambiguity of every character in the movie. The casting was pretty interesting for the most part. I think uh, I thought the casting was really good. Wait, was that the first movie where Sama Hayek and... Angelina Jolie were in the same movie because those are my two all-time favorites. And to <laughs> oh, be yeah. in the same movie, I was like... Oh, yeah. I don't know if they shared a frame, but they were definitely in the same movie. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Let me think for one second, because i got to figure out how to rebuttal this. Let <laughs> <laughs> me to retort. <laughs> because normally, <laughs> normally in a non-blockbuster comic book spectacular, you know, a movie like this moral ambiguity in a character is revered as a positive filmmaking tool. So normally moral ambiguity in every character, like say in an auteur or an art film, uh, let's say in Nomadland is like a thing that you would want to give a character because it gives them layers. It gives you as the filmmaker, the opportunity to essentially have the character say one thing and then do another, just like a normal human being would. And that's what makes characters at the end of the day interesting. And so I think a lot of what the Marvel Cinematic Universe has given us so far, there's a lot of good characters that represent moral ambiguity, but you also have characters that often declare the thing that they're all about. 
making them less artistic. <laughs> and so I am sort of thinking now that what you're saying and the thing that's not working for maybe a Marvel film of this magnitude is to give such ambiguity to characters and not have them be declaring what they're all about as sort of a detriment to the success or the reception of that film. At the end of the day, it's like, are we just going to keep producing the same Marvel content over and over again? Are we going to get Hawkeye at Christmas <laughs> every late November now for the rest of all time? Or can we have a little bit of trial and error? I, I don't know. My main point, and this is to why I would say that I still enjoy it, is because we see movies collectively as human beings because we like to watch human stories and uh, we like to watch people being human, doing human things, interacting in such a way that we can relate to them. And I think that this movie succeeded in creating at least enough humanity in these 10 characters so that toward the end of the film in the third act, when they're all making their different decisions, some are to be adverse to the others, some are to stay and fight, some are to just leave entirely. You understand why they're making those decisions. And I thought that that alone was a triumph in of itself. Not to say that the movie is a triumph, Alan, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but but I thought that at least showing the humanity of these characters and trying to nail down the, the moral ambiguity or nature of these 10 different characters in a movie like this where it's introducing these characters actually worked for me because I understood what was happening in the end. You know, like he just brought up the second Venom movie. I had no idea what was happening that whole time, <laughs> except like the CG looked great. I wish I had more carnage <laughs> at the end, but like it was just murder. The whole movie was just murder <laughs> and chaos and then it ended. And so anyway, I'm just curious if you guys have any opinion about this because I feel like this movie will set the precedent for how especially Marvel films go or and Marvel content with you know Disney Plus series works out going forward or this might be the movie where the audience reaction is so hefty that Marvel just says well f it we're gonna just make the same thing over and over again now you bring up a really good point it did experiment and it did try to push the envelope and I like to say that you know i i appreciate chloe Zhao doing that but i just don't because to <laughs> your point i feel like when people go into marvel movies or any movie in general they aren't looking to expand their mind they're they're really looking to turn their mind off for a period of time they want to see explosions and even moreover one of the things that you mentioned was some Marvel characters really declare their moral standing and they make that the focal point of that character. Mm. And that's what people really like. They want that. They don't want ambiguity. They want to know that Captain America is always going to, you know, fight until the end and be loyal to his friends. They want to know that uh, Black Panther is going to be loyal to Wakanda. They want to know that. You know, um, Tony Stark is always going to focus on technology and, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So that's what people want. They do want that consistency. They don't want characters that are, you know, that make you think. Um, <laughs> and yeah, this was an artistic attempt to do that, but it failed. It failed horribly. Now, you did bring up one really interesting idea. If you want to experiment, Chloe Zhao, uh, Kevin Feige, 
put it on Disney Plus. No <laughs> doubt. It, if you want to take a risk, because it's really interesting if you think about it, the the Disney Plus shows are getting great reviews. People really like the Disney Plus shows because they take time to have all the characters develop, to have things brought out, to really develop it. And mm. to Gabe's point, hey, maybe this should have been two movies, right? Heck no. However, <laughs> could we have taken this and turned it into a Disney Plus series that would have given the character development, explored everything a little bit more? Yeah, I wouldn't have watched the entire series. I would have said this is garbage and do what <laughs> Joe does and just Wikipedia it. But <laughs> at least... I wouldn't have had to sit through this two and a half hours. Do your experiments on Disney Plus, right? Give us that artistic vision on Disney Plus. Don't make us sit through two and a half hours of an experiment. That's actually really smart. Gabe, do you have anything to say about that at all? I'm curious. No, I, I agree. I think it, it ultimately it comes down to the execution. And I, I'm another person that loves, you know, like uh, the ambiguity, but it is... It, regardless of what the expectations are for a Marvel film, I think it, it ultimately comes down to the execution. And at the end of the day, they tried to put so much of that into a two and a half hour film that it, the pontification of all these characters, there are so many moments like that in the film that it ends up just kind of rushing and dragging at, you know, a lot of people were complaining about the pacing for that reason. And thematically, there's not really like a crystal clear resolution, even at the end, there's still like, well, were we right in the end? I'm not even still sure, but then the Celestials will just take you anyway. And it was really funny how that ended because Arisham just shows up and does the Rick and Morty, show me what you got. We'll evaluate your planet now. <laughs> and so, yeah, it, it, it was a little bit unsatisfactory in that way. And I think that, again, to Duke's point, this could have been explored in a better way. And maybe with like a six or eight episode Disney Plus series... You know, you'd still have to change a few things, but I, it could have really been something, you know, sure. remarkable, not, you know, genre defining like they were pitching, mm -hmm. but it could have been something that would have been across the board well received by everybody. So I, I like that they're taking risks. I'd like to see more risks taken. I never would have sold Chloe Zhao as the person to launch that, you know, next stage of the MCU. True. But I, I would like to see more experimental stuff. It's so funny because her style as a filmmaker is so opposite of everything. And all, that was the logline for these reviews at the end of the day was that it was caught halfway between like art film and, and Marvel film, which leaves you in a very kind of un unhappy place as a viewer because you just want something. Whether or not you want like a Marvel film, you, you really just want like a good movie at the end of the day. And so while I, I can pull things out of that that I enjoyed, it's... I, I could see why a lot of people are not happy at all with, <laughs> with what they got. So I'm curious if any of you think, because I, I mentioned this earlier in the cast, that this actually does change the the future of the MCU going forward. It might be better to preface that with a smaller question, which is, what exactly did Kevin Feige mean, you think, when he was... Is it just that the fact that they've introduced the Celestials in a very tangible way now, and they're going to try to really grasp that cosmic aspect of... That's what I'm asking. Yeah. I don't know. And in that way, I think, personally, I think that they kind of succeeded because now we've really opened the door. You know, on the back of everything happening with the multiverse, we now have literally Arishem and the other Celestials in the game. Okay. Okay. This movie sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I still liked it. How did you guys feel about the DC references? Yeah, that was weird. There's no need for that. You know, I think they just try to take away the trolls by saying that in there. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's the only thing I can think of. Because there's no reason to do that. There's no reason at all. One of my other friends said it was gimmicky. Like it was in there to sell Mm -hmm. the movie. It was as bad. I think my favorite part of this movie was just seeing that there's hope now for like a a really cool Galactus thing. Because Mm -hmm. when you see the Celestial peering over Earth, it's it's pretty intense. And then he like, he snaps out of there with a black hole animation. It's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. I'd like to go back and watch to see if you see any watchers over Harrison's shoulder yeah. at all, you know, because I wasn't looking for that at all. But what if, what if just a little outline, you know, like it does in the clouds or in the sky? And that was one thing that I didn't understand when Harrison shows up at the end of the film and zaps uh, Cersei, Fastos, and uh, Kingo out. I was like, what the heck was that? And he says he's going to judge Earth or show something. Me, if, show me what you got. If their memories don't show that humanity is worthy. Does anyone know anything about Arishem or if he's actually like a threat to Earth ever? Well, in the like, I'm, like I was saying, he he's kind of the one that he'll hold out his fist with his thumb out to the right or left, either way. And usually in the comics, they don't talk. That's all you get from him is just like fist out, thumbs up, planet gets to live. Thumbs down. Gotta go. And they're judgmental pricks like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I think the evaluation will go well because humanity basically, you know, saved half the universe. So any last thoughts on the movie Eternals? Worst Marvel movie ever made. Possibly one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And I try to watch like two or three B movies a week. And this is <laughs> far worse than anything I streamed. <laughs> yes, they did make it, but they didn't have to make it. And the entire cinematic universe is worse because of it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. They didn't bring anything to the table that I think. Nothing. They didn't bring anything that's going to push the Marvel universe forward, in my opinion. Like, they could have not did that movie and Marvel would have been better for it. Oh, boy. They gave us creepy Star Fox. Okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> This is the worst. They're just the worst character. Yeah. If they, if they would have taken the time to understand how deplorable this character is, they wouldn't have made him. They would have gone another route. That is really interesting, actually. The first thing he does is hit on Angelina Jolie when he walks on to really? the ship. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like something about That's what he's known for. your beauty is, is insane. It's something like that. It'll be curious to see how they erase that character's comic book history moving forward. Because <laughs> it feels like Harry Styles will be a, a big deal, you know, in the MCU moving forward. Yeah, true. He's going to sell some tickets. <laughs> uh any any final thoughts before we say sayonara? Uh, thank you guys for having yeah. us on the show. Congrats on the 100th episode. I love listening to you guys. Oh, thank I you. feel like your knowledge of the industry and your understanding of each movie and every show is just amazing. I always learn stuff oh, uh, listening to you guys. And you can actually make me appreciate stuff that I otherwise wouldn't. Uh, I actually watched the movie Malignant based on listening to you guys uh, – <laughs> Talk about it. I loved it, by the way. I loved it. Yes. But there is nothing you guys can say that will ever make me enjoy this movie. I'm so happy. I feel great now. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. I, I genuinely uh, didn't know that people listen to us or care. So like, I'm I'm so happy to hear that. So thank you so much. It's, it's high praise coming from you guys. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Thank you. Uh, it's your kind. <laughs> I really respect your guys' opinions and your voices, not just in the way that they sound like the timbre yeah. of your voice, but, but <laughs> that your, is nice too. your unique individual perspectives. And I thank you guys for taking the time to do this because it means a lot to me because I feel like we just always have these amazing conversations. We did with Loki and we're doing it again now. 
And I would highly recommend anyone listening that hasn't listened to the Loki podcast to go back and listen to it with these dudes. Mm. It was super fun. And there's a lot of awesome information and projection about the future of the MCU in that one. And check out the Nerd World Order. Yes. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go search the Nerd World Order on Facebook or go to imnwo.com. You can find us anywhere on anything just by typing in hashtag imnwo. And that is the words I and am, like uh, God, like I <laughs> yes. am. Yes. Nice. Not the letters I am. <laughs> he who is. Yeah. Yahweh. But I am. And then the letters, N-W-O, just so you guys know. <laughs> nice. Awesome. Yes. Well, now that we've mentioned Yahweh and <laughs> all of the Eternals, we can uh, close. Here is potentially a song. Uh, I really disliked the score for this film. I don't understand uh, why. It was Ramin Dewani, too, of uh, uh, Game of Thrones Game and of Westworld Thrones. fame. Game of Thrones. Interesting. Uh, but you know, better luck next time. Yeah, we'll play that song here because uh, <laughs> what a what a better way to end the, the Eternals podcast yeah. than with a forgettable score. <laughs> <laughs>